Welcome to the July 30th, 2018 edition of the Hyperallergic Weekly Podcast, Art Movements. This week, we'll be talking to the person behind Anonymous Was a Woman, that once mysterious foundation that's been granting $25,000 to female artists over 40 since 1996. And then critic Zachary Small will stop by to talk about a show at the Metropolitan Museum he says is a knockout. But first, some headlines. This past Friday, July 27th, 12 activists from the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, more commonly referred to as ACT UP, staged a protest at the Whitney Museum in Manhattan to highlight the enduring crisis of HIV and AIDS. The one-night action took place throughout the David Wanarovich retrospective, and another exhibition titled An Incomplete History of Protest. Two of ACT UP's members, Ariel Friedlander and Annie Furay, led the protest after Friedlander saw the show and she says she felt simultaneously moved by the work and unsettled by the presentation. She told Hyperallergic, everything I was seeing I could connect to the modern day AIDS crisis and yet the museum didn't mention them at all. In response to the protest, a representative from the Whitney Museum sent Hyperallergic a statement that points out that they've organized a symposium and weekly events on queer art and activism to accompany the exhibition. They added, perhaps our position is expressed most clearly in the following wall text that is part of our exhibition, An Incomplete History of Protest, which is now on the sixth floor and has been on view for the past year. As we continue to live with loss and AIDS still affects individuals and communities in the United States and globally, the rallying cry of ACT UP, AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, resounds today. The AIDS crisis is not over. A Museum of Chicano Art is one step closer to reality after California's governor, Jerry Brown, signed a bill that gave the Cheech, as the center is informally known, a $9.7 million grant. The brainchild of longtime Chicano art collector Cheech Marin, who is best known as half of the comic duo Cheech and Chong, the Cheech Marin Center for Chicano Art, Culture, and Industry will be part of the Riverside Art Museum, located in the city of Riverside, which is roughly 60 miles east of LA. Marin began collecting Chicano art in the 1970s, and over the years, his collection of 700 art objects has been on tour in over 50 museums in the US and Europe. During a press event in late June, as reported by Ed Fuentes for Hyperallergic, Marin explained, Early in my collecting days, when I started talking to museums, they would always immediately classify us as Latin American art. We are not Latin American art. We are American art. This is part of America. It's one of the main threads of our cultural fabric. Now it's being recognized, and it will be more recognized and Central Park will be receiving its first statue of a named woman. Believe it or not, it'll be only the sixth historical statue in New York City that features a real woman rather than an allegorical figure. If you are curious, there are 145 statues of named men in the city. The sculpture will feature Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, two early leaders of the women's rights movement. The statue design was unveiled last week following a call for entries and sculptor Meredith Bergman was named the winner. Her work will grace the literary walk on the mall in Central Park, and it's expected to be finished in 2020.
It's a dream come true. You get a phone call and the voice on the other end tells you you've just been awarded $25,000. No strings attached. Unbelievable, right? Well, that's the story behind Anonymous Was a Woman, a foundation set up to do exactly that for female artists over the age of 40. The grant started in 1996, and the foundation, as the name suggests, works anonymously. They enlist an all-female nominating and jury process that's aimed to help talented artists who are, now I'm reading this from their website, at a significant juncture in their lives or careers to continue to grow and pursue their work. Sounds pretty amazing, right? Well, the identity of the donor has also been a mystery. But just a few weeks ago, an article in the New York Times lifted the curtain back to reveal that the donor was artist Susan Unterberg. Who is she? So many unanswered questions. So I decided, why not invite her to the studio? But first, I wanted to talk to somebody who was a past recipient, learn what it was like to get the call. I think I'll never forget that phone call because I was all by myself out in the country in Connecticut in the summer. And it was a landline call. And someone on the other end, a woman, said, hello, is this Neen Humphrey? And I said, yes. And she said, don't hang up the phone. I have something important to tell you. And apparently, people had been hanging up on her. And she said, you've, you've been awarded the Anonymous Was a Woman grant. And it took me a few seconds to even speak back to her because I had absolutely no idea, no clue. That was in the days when people were always asking you to send them a packet, which meant slides and reviews and things like that. And you were just doing it automatically all the time. So I had no idea that one of those requests was for this grant. So I was... I That's Neen Humphrey, a New York-based artist who was awarded a grant in 1999. She said it helped a lot but not only financially. Being acknowledged for my work as a woman at that stage in my career when the other side of the coin was the art world at the time was really concentrating on people just out of grad school and uh, even younger uh, kinds of things. So that sort of acknowledgement meant a lot to me at that time. Right. At that time, there was this sort of MFA to Chelsea Gallery exactly. pipeline that was going on. Exactly. And so now, okay, so you have the information. You're like, what do I do with this? What? What? I mean, so what was your first instinct? Well, the, I was all by myself, so I tried calling my husband. I couldn't get a hold of him. He was on a road trip. I tried calling two or three really good friends. I couldn't get a hold of anybody. So I finally I thought, okay, I'm going to take the car, and I'm going to go into town and treat myself to a really great lunch. That was the best I could do with. The anonymous part may eat at some people, not Neen. I always say I, I really respect that it was set up that way so that there was no, I mean, it just eliminated a lot of things that it could become, and it was pretty pure for that reason. I wondered if the grant changed her life, so I asked. In a couple of ways. One is people, uh, the grant, you know, it was publicized, and so people 
that I already knew and then some people I didn't know, collectors and gallery people, took more notice and in some cases took the work more seriously, I think, than possibly they would have. Um, I'm not sure, but there was that. And then there was the ability to have lots more time in my studio to really dig in. So I was able to leave one of my teaching jobs and have almost five full days of working time in the studio. That was amazing. I had to ask if she was surprised at the identity of Anonymous. Yeah, yes, I am surprised who it is. I mean, in the world of people who had gotten the grants, names were batted around, but they were, you know, people would just think of an obvious name of someone that they thought it could be, and, and no one ever really knew. Did you know Susan, or had you ever met her? No, I didn't. So you still have never met her? I've still not, and I hope to meet her soon. The next day, I finally got to meet the woman herself. And so now, what does it feel like now? Everyone knows. You know, we had uh, Neen Humphrey come in, and we talked to her. Oh, she got one of the grants. That's right, in 1999. And she talked about how it really changed her whole like life in terms of being able to devote a whole year to her practice, quitting a day job that was sort of stopping her from doing more work. I mean, all these stories, we're hearing these stories, there's so many of them. And it's not a need-based grant. Right. Because when I set it up, I was thinking... Well, I need it too, you know, even though financially I don't need it. So I don't care how people use it, but I don't want the judging to be about so-and-so needs it so terribly. It's about the work. So when you said said that you needed it, is it the recognition? Definitely the recognition. Right. So is it the recognition from your peers? Like, I'm just trying to understand, like, in terms of, because, you know, I mean, Neen said similar things. Like, it's not, it wasn't just the money. It was just this idea that somebody was sort of like rooting for you or. Exactly. And women in this case, it's women choosing women. And that's really interesting because maybe in history, women got their identity from their men, you know, and and this was trying to, to help change that. I was became very, very good friends with Marsha Tucker Mm -hmm. until the day she died. I saw her, I think, five days before she died. I went to California, and we met through my work, through actually a friend of mine who's no longer a friend of hers or mine, but in graduate school, and he said, you have to meet this woman. You'll love her, and she'll love you. And she came to look at my work, and uh, we hit it off, and then... A couple of years later, when I was uh, able to inherit this foundation from my father, I s- discussed it with Marcia. What can I do that's special? We came up with this together, I would say, if my memory serves. It was a long time ago. So the foundation was something you inherited from your parents? From my father from when he died. From your father's, right. And so I'm kind of curious, was he always a big fan of the arts? Was he like... No! Uh, no, he wasn't! <laughs> okay. So this was more your... your. Oh um, my gosh, yes. No, he was didn't understand. I didn't come from an art background. He didn't understand the arts. And I wasn't ever supposed to have a career. I was supposed to get married, which I did really young and have children. But... Not a career, certainly not being an artist, certainly not selling work. 
And so it was a bit of a struggle just because I wasn't getting a lot of encouragement. So what do you think you would have needed during your earlier part of your career to help encourage your creativity and being an artist? What would you have needed this grant? I mean, what would what were some yes. of the other things? Well, I you got needed? an early grant way back when from NIFA, mm-hmm. uh, a money grant and that I thought was the most amazing thing in the world. Uh, so yeah, this was sort of set up for somebody like me. I was never nominated though. <laughs> Would you have done anything differently? Now looking back at 22 years, I'm curious. Oh, that's a good question. I don't think so. I think uh, it's had a good trajectory, uh, but some of the challenges each year are increasing our pool of nominators mm-hmm. and some people who haven't been active we take off our list and we add our 10 winners every year but uh, I think this will be an enormous help because I now that I'm uh, out of you know behind I'm not behind the curtain anymore I can ask people for suggestions and I think having a voice of my own now, will be a big help. What do you think the role of philanthropy is generally in the art world now, and how has that changed? Because you've had a bit of an eye, bird's eye right. view of that. Well, things haven't changed all that much, as far as I can tell, from when I set up the grant. Mm-hmm. The NEA had just stopped uh, giving individual grants to, well, individual artists, grants to individual artists, and they s- still don't, and the budget keeps getting um, smaller and smaller. It's almost non-existent. So I think philanthropy in our country has always been powerful. Uh, Some of the challenges you see for the art community coming up. Well, I think the art world has changed. I think it's going through growing stages uh, or maybe demise stages. You know, gallery Mm. shows I've heard from artist friends, you know, their work doesn't sell, but yeah. yet a lot of uh, effort goes into producing a show, and it's where the f- the art fairs are, and it's very expensive to show at an art fair, and a lot of artists just don't make it. So I think they're coming up with new and inventive ways to get their work out, like pop-up shows and... Uh, curating and, and creating magazines mm-hmm. and you know it's 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 happening but um but I can't quite define it all got it and so now how about in terms of uh, uh, your own kind of hopes for the art community like what do you have any do you have well I'm disgusted as I'm sure most of your listeners are about the money that goes into art and how can art be worth hundred million dollars. I mean, it's half it's, a billion dollars or right? half a billion yeah. even. It's crazy. And I, well, that's also politics, you know, mm-hmm. elections get bought. So I think it's abominable and I don't know what's going to happen. Do you collect art? I don't, I don't consider myself a collector, but I have art all over my apartment that I've had for many years and it has to do with uh, art that's inspired my well later on my own work so they're early American portraits very dour of of figures and it's, is there a favorite uh, is there a favorite piece that continues to inspire you that well, you'd like I to share love them all I'm not the kind of person that gets tired of something I don't okay. dispose of my friends you know if I 
buy something, I love it. And uh, so I have Amy Phillips and, you know, some of those early Ooh, people from Phillips. way back yeah. when. Uh, so you were saying early, you meant early, like yes. colonial, like almost well, po- just early, I guess, well, Republican. They were the limbers, yeah, and right. that was yeah, right yeah. before photography. So right. they go from home to home. And I have a lot of photography on the wall, mostly black and white, even though I'm color. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's just varied. I mean, it was so inexpensive. Well, I didn't think it was inexpensive then, but right. compared to now. Now, what compared to... So who are some of the photographers that continue to inspire you if we're talking about... Well, I have images? one that I really look at a lot, uh, a Julia Margaret Cameron, which... Mm. Uh, and it's Virginia Woolf's mother, Mrs. Duckworth. So wow. I'm very loving of that one. But, you know, I like Walker Evans. I like those portraits i like a lot of things it's hard to say i'm not i'm very catholic in my taste now you know anonymous is a woman and her name is susan round one 45 rounds the battle of the century the action is tentative cautious Two champions, one old and coaxed out of retirement, are claimed as the great white hope. The other, proud and outspoken, a man who has aroused the nation. That's a recording from the infamous Jack Johnson versus James Jeffries fight in 1910. It's lived on in infamy since white American boxer Jeffries came out of retirement to fight the first black world heavyweight champion. Jeffries became the so-called Great White Hope. Johnson moves in to finish it. Jeffries finally collapses from a combination of balls. Johnson won. But what the announcer said right after is pretty revealing. The Great White Hope. Humiliated, beaten, betrayer of his race. Why are we talking about boxing on an art and culture podcast? Well, that sport is the focus of a one-room exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum of Art titled On the Ropes, Vintage Boxing Cards from the Jefferson R. Burdick Collection. Our critic, Zachary Small, says you should check it out. So I invited him in to tell us why. Hi, Zachary. Hi. So I hear you have an exhibition on your radar that people haven't been seeing or talking about yet. Yes, indeed I do, and it's at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's a small, small exhibition. It's only one room, and it's called On the Ropes, Vintage Boxing Cards from the Jefferson R. Burdick Collection. And it goes from now until October 21st, and it's such a shame no one's going to see it. It's past the American wing in the Met. You have to go up this glass elevator, and it's in a room next to decorative arts and storage. Right. And and so now tell me what we expect. I mean, I'm assuming there are going to be boxing gloves in the show. I mean, what are we looking at? So it's Build as being about boxing cards. So these are like athletic playing cards, like baseball cards. But really the the meat and potatoes of this exhibition is going to be the paintings and all of this fantastic work, lithographs, prints that detail America's and really Europe as well, uh, the obsession with race in athletics and how it ties to a bigger racial politic. Do you want to talk about one work in particular? 
Yeah, so one of the works that really caught me off guard was actually by Theodore Jericho. Oh, uh, who's, it's not a, really an artist you normally associate with that. Right, and this is really interesting because this work called Boxers is from 1818. So this is the same year that Jericho does Raft of the Medusa, which if you've ever been to the Louvre, you've seen it. It's huge. It depicts, you know, a shipwreck and cannibals. Right, what exactly. The, fam- the famous painting. So he was a famous romantic painter, of course, in France right. in the 19th century. Right, so in the same year, 1818, though, he creates this lithograph, and he uses the monochromatic lithograph to accentuate the race of... So, the scene that you're seeing here is a white boxer versus a black fighter, and they are in opposing identical stances, and the audience surrounding them is all white, and they're all looking to the white boxer, sort of in, uh, in savior mode. Got it. And of course, the sort of, you know, the, the great white hope of sorts. Right. Know? So it's really interesting you say that because a century later, George Bellows, an American artist. Right, part of the uh, Ashcan school. Right. Depicts the White Hope. This is the title of his painting, and it depicts Jack Johnson's 1910 defeat of James, James Jeffries, who was known as the Great White Hope. So Jack Johnson is the first black heavyweight champion, and he won this against James Jeffrey uh, in a huge fight. And this was a fight that... Jeffries came out of retirement. He was paid what would today be $3.2 million to just fight Johnson because everyone was scared that Johnson being a black man and heavyweight champion would sort of um, urge race riots. In fact, Congress in 1912 even passed a law making it illegal to transport prize fight films across state lines because they didn't want people seeing this fight. That was Zachary Small, staff writer for Hyperallergic. On the Ropes continues until October 21st at the Met Fifth Avenue. This week, I want to send a special thanks to Miserable Chillers and Sunkit for providing the music to this week's episode. You are listening to their latest album, Adoration Room, and you can get more info in the notes to this podcast. We're eager to feature new bands and music on every episode. So if you or anyone you know has music they want to submit, be sure to email us at hello at hyperallergic.com. I'm Hrog Vartanian, co-founder and editor-in-chief of Hyperallergic. Thanks for listening and enjoy your week.